Welcome to the DC Bar Community's Law Student Podcast with your hosts, Sienna Hurd, 3L at American University, Washington College of Law, Elena Hoffman, 3L at the George Washington University Law School, and Dalali Daggedy, 4L at UDC David Clark School of Law. You're listening to Let's Brief It. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Let's Brief It. In today's episode, we will be exploring the world of antitrust law with our guest, Jeffrey May. Jeff is an attorney and managing editor for Insights and Enrichment at Walters Kluwer Legal and Regulatory US. Jeff has spent much of his career tracking, analyzing, and writing about antitrust and trade regulation law. He edits the Trade Regulation Reporter, Walters Kluwer's flagship antitrust product, and is a frequent contributor to Walters Kluwer's Antitrust Law Daily and Antitrust Connect blog. A member of the Illinois and Pennsylvania bars, Jeff is a graduate of American University and Boston College Law School. Jeff, it's so great to have you here today. Thanks so much for having me, Elena. It's a pleasure to be here today. As you mentioned, I'm a managing editor at Walters Kluwer, and Walters Kluwer is a global provider of information services and software solutions to legal, tax, healthcare, and other professionals. On the legal and regulatory side where I am, we have reporter services and treatises in a number of practice areas, including antitrust. And I've worked on these products for many years, and I've also worked on products in other Walters Clore practice areas, such as banking, IP, labor and employment, and tax law. But I started working on the antitrust and trade regulation team many years ago, and as you said, editing the uh, CCH trade regulation reporter. And uh, that's provided me with the opportunity to you know, track, research, and analyze antitrust and consumer protection law developments. I didn't actually take an antitrust course in law school, but my first real exposure to this area came during law school. I was a summer associate at a law firm in DC, and I had the opportunity to work on a research project for a partner, and that partner was an antitrust expert and a veteran of the Federal Trade Commission. And after working on the antitrust project and learning more about the area of the law, I thought that this is something I'd like to pursue, and I was lucky enough to be able to do that. Could you give our listeners a little brief overview of what antitrust law entails if they aren't already familiar with it? Sure. Well, I'll try to stay at a high level. So I apologize to those listeners who are maybe more familiar with antitrust law, but essentially antitrust law is about protecting competition. It's protecting competition from cartels or conspiracies as well as protecting competition from firms that might abuse monopoly power. So an example of a cartel is when firms get together maybe to fix prices or otherwise restrain trade. Monopolization, on the other hand, occurs where a single firm engages in anti-competitive conduct. You might be familiar with some of the current examples of high-profile monopolization cases including the Justice Department and state suits against Google and the FTC and state suits against Meta. And also, I should mention, too, that the antitrust laws are used to block anti-competitive mergers and acquisitions, uh, and that's generally done by the federal antitrust agencies. You mentioned a couple tech companies. Are there any other industries we should be watching out for right now in terms of antitrust reform? Well, definitely the tech sector is focus of antitrust enforcement right now, and a number of the legislative proposals that we'll be talking about 
But I would say that antitrust touches on almost all sectors of the economy. You know, one area where you see some major action is in healthcare, for instance. The FTC is currently challenging a handful of hospital mergers. The Justice Department has challenged recently a health insurance merger. So um, that's one area in particular where there's a lot of activity. Also, I would say that there's some focus in the agriculture uh, sector and also competition in labor markets across the economy is a top priority for the Biden administration. You wrote in a recent article for Walters Kluwer that more than a dozen bills are currently pending in Congress that could impact the future of this area. Could you briefly talk about that for our listeners? Well, sure. Antitrust seems to be in the headlines every day right now. In the past, the news was generally about case filings and settlements. But what's different in the last couple of years is that there's been a push for legislation. And this legislation is intended to insist the enforcers, the Federal Trade Commission and the Department of Justice Antitrust Division, and even state enforcers in carrying out enforcement of existing laws. And the legislation would also create new laws. So some of this legislation targets big tech firms, and that's often the focus of the headlines. But as I mentioned, there are some legislative changes that will impact antitrust more generally. So if I could, I'd like to first talk about the legislation that is more general, and then maybe we can uh, focus on the tech sector. Yeah, absolutely. So as you mentioned, I wrote a paper, uh, will 2022 be the year in which antitrust reforms become law? And in that, I covered a number of legislative proposals that are currently pending, but I'd like to discuss four proposals that involve antitrust enforcement generally. The first involves increasing funding for the federal antitrust agencies. The second involves updating pre-merger notification filing fees. There's also a provision involving state enforcement and helping state enforcers keep their antitrust challenges in the federal district courts of their choice. And lastly, there's an effort to restore some authority that the FTC lost as a result of a recent Supreme Court decision, AMG Capital Management versus Federal Trade Commission in 2021. So those are the four that are not focused on the tech sector? Correct. But they actually will certainly impact the tech sector, but they will impact antitrust more generally. So with respect to the first two efforts those impacting the Federal Trade Commission and the Department of Justice. Bills have been passed by both the House and the Senate to increase funding for these agencies and to update what are called the Hart-Scott-Rodino or HSR pre-merger notification fees. And that'd be an update for the first time in two decades. The measures are tucked into larger legislation, which is not uncommon, And on the Senate side, it's the U.S. Innovation and Competition Act, which passed the chamber in June 2021. And in February 2022, the House passed the America Competes Act. Now, these two bills, which include these antitrust provisions, are more generally intended to assist U.S. businesses in competing with China. And they also include some provisions to uh, deal with the chip shortage. However, the House and the Senate versions have a number of differences, so lawmakers will need to reach a compromise on this package. 
And if the antitrust provisions remain in the bill and do become law, both the Department of Justice Antitrust Division and the Federal Trade Commission would see larger appropriations for the current fiscal year. Interestingly, the now dead Build Back Better Act, that would have provided about a billion dollars for the two agencies' antitrust enforcement efforts over the next decade. As for the Hart-Scott-Rodino or HSR pre-merger notification fees, there's a plan to lower the fees paid on deals involving small and medium-sized businesses, but to increase the fees on particularly large deals. The fees currently range from $45,000 to $280,000, depending on the size of the transaction. Under the proposal, the fees would range from $30,000 for the smallest reportable transactions to $2.25 million for the largest transactions. So obviously, companies will want to be aware of this possibility. And uh, the theory is that the biggest deals require the most effort from the agencies in their pre-merger review process. So the additional money can be directed to the agencies to assist with funding. And I should mention, too, that the bill would also adjust the fees for inflation going forward. You mentioned that these bills have passed already, correct? Or at least passed the House? These provisions are contained in a House bill and a Senate bill, but there are differences between the two bills. And so as a result, they need to reach a compromise on the bills before this can move to the president. Is there bipartisan support for both of these? There's definitely bipartisan support for these measures. And I think that there's bipartisan support for all of the measures that I'm going to be talking about. Okay. And what what are the other measures? Well, I had mentioned that there's going to be support for state enforcers. Bills have been introduced in both the House and the Senate by Republicans with Democratic support that would provide state attorney generals with greater power to control their own antitrust suits. States, like the federal government, would be able to avoid having their antitrust enforcement actions consolidated with related private actions in multi-district litigation. And that's what's been happening up until now. So you had mentioned, you know, about the impact on the tech sector. This proposal could actually impact a multi-state antitrust suit brought against Google in the federal district court in Texas. That case was subsequently transferred to a federal district court in New York and consolidated with private antitrust suits. You know, the concern being addressed by this legislation here is that, you know, state enforcement actions are delayed by the consolidation with the private suits in the MDL proceedings. And by changing this provision, they would allow state suits to move forward more quickly. The final more general legislative proposal that I wanted to talk about for antitrust involves both antitrust and consumer protection authority at the Federal Trade Commission. And that legislation responds to a recent U.S. Supreme Court decision. In 2021, the Supreme Court ruled in AMG Capital Management versus FTC that the agency had been acting outside of its authority in seeking restitution, disgorgement in federal district court actions. So prior to the Supreme Court's decision, the FTC had been using its FTC Act Section 13B Permanent Injunction Authority 
for decades in both consumer fraud and antitrust actions to seek monetary relief directly in court. Now, the agency can still obtain this relief, but it has, to simplify it, it has a number of hurdles that it would have to jump through. So according to the sponsors, this legislation is intended to restore the agency's Section 13B authority. Now, concerns have been raised by Republican commissioners and Republican lawmakers that the legislation could give the FTC too much authority to pursue these actions and seek monetary relief. So uh, there have been some calls for additional guardrails to be added to the legislation to keep the agency from going too far. But in principle, the Republicans on the Federal Trade Commission support the move. I should mention that currently the Federal Trade Commission has five members. There are two Republicans and two Democrats. And uh, we're waiting on confirmation of a, of a fifth who would create a three to two split on the commission, three Democrats, two Republicans. So if the Republicans on the commission, you said, are okay with the bill as it is and don't necessarily see the need for the guardrails, do you think that they will be included or not? Well, the Republicans on the Federal Trade Commission are okay with the bill in principle, but they would like maybe some more protections in the bill so that the FTC doesn't go too far. So there, there are some concerns right now that the current chair of the Federal Trade Commission is Lena Khan, and there is some concern among Republicans that she has a very aggressive agenda. And so, you know, they wouldn't want the legislation and the new powers to be used in a way that wasn't foreseen. That makes sense. And what about the other bills? You mentioned some ones specifically affecting the tech sector. Right. Here, I'll concentrate again on four proposals aimed at conduct that's alleged to be undertaken by dominant online platforms, as they're called. Uh, So Amazon, Apple, Facebook, Google, and generally each piece of legislation, which company or platforms it impacts is based on the definition of a covered platform within the legislation. But the first proposal involves social media platforms. The second involves acquisitions by big tech platforms. The third is focused on online apps and the online app market. And the last is about a preference that's been discussed a lot lately in the media, purported practice by the tech companies uh, known as self-preferencing. When you say social media platforms, which ones specifically are you referring to? Well, generally, it's based on the definition within the bill, but we're talking about Meta and Google. With respect to um, social media platforms, there's a bill with a very long name called the Augmenting Compatibility and Competition by Enabling Service Switching Act. So that's known as the Access Act. And this bill is aimed at increasing competition by requiring social media platforms like Facebook and Google to make their services interoperable with competing communication platforms. For uh, users of social media, it would impact them by requiring the companies to make user data portable. And then that way, social media users could easily switch platforms and take their information with them. The argument behind this legislation is that If you open up these platforms to more competition, they'll be enforced to improve quality, the user experience, privacy, and security. This measure has passed the House 
Judiciary Committee, but uh, there currently isn't a Senate version of the measure. However, there was a Senate version with bipartisan support in the last Congress. A potential issue for the getting this through, one of the concerns for some lawmakers is the proposal foresees a technical committee within the Federal Trade Commission establishing rules, uh, now, but with the assistance of the business community for interoperability and data portability online. So lawmakers could be concerned with potential you know, FTC overreach and might be unwilling to accept the bill. Do you think that it will pass? I think that in the Senate for each of these bills, uh, it's a tougher road ahead, but I do think that there's some possibility that this could go forward. And what are the other ones? Well, the second proposal, as I said, involves mergers and acquisition. And this is an effort to prevent acquisitions by dominant legal platforms that would eliminate their competitors or their potential competitors or otherwise enhance a platform's market power. So it sort of puts the burden on the platform. So the platforms would have to establish that the deals that they're doing uh, were not anti-competitive. So uh, the intent of this legislation, which is known as the Platform Competition and Opportunity Act, is to avoid another instance of a Facebook acquisition of a future WhatsApp. Of course, that might not be too popular with startups because they may be seeking to be acquired by tech giants for for billions of dollars. So there's obviously some industry opposition here. So the third proposal involves apps for mobile devices. It's called the Open App Markets Act, and it's aimed at operators of app stores with more than 50 million American users. The supporters of the bill take issue with app stores charging commission fees of as much as 30% on in-app purchases and preventing competition from rival app stores. So generally, the bill impacts Apple and Google, and it's thought that the Apple and Google would be prohibited from forcing app developers to use the platform's in-app payment system, and developers would be able to offer apps from other sites. So as a result, you know, if you're an iPhone user, you'd be able to sideload apps onto your iPhone. What does sideload mean? Well, sideloading means that you're getting your app for your iPhone from somewhere other than the App Store or for your Android device from somewhere other than Google Play. This is a particular concern for Apple because they have privacy and security concerns. Uh, Apple is considered a closed system, and so Apple vets the apps. And so uh, there's definite resistance from Apple to open their system up. Uh, There's a couple of other provisions in this bill that would prohibit the app stores from using information that they obtain from an app developer to develop a, a competing app or an app store wouldn't be allowed to you know, favor its own apps or you know, the apps of its business partners in search rankings. That's interesting. I've never thought about the possibility of getting my apps from anywhere but the app store. Wasn't there an antitrust case against Apple over its app practices? Yeah, there was. Uh, there was a, a high profile court battle between the app developer Epic Games, uh, the company behind Fortnite and Apple, And although the Epic Games antitrust claims against Apple failed, we're waiting for a decision from the U.S. Court of Appeals in San Francisco 
on the issue of a permanent injunction that was issued in that case about these app practices under state law. And what's the the last proposal you talked about? Lastly, I'll mention the American Innovation and Choice Online Act. And this measure is aimed at big tech platforms' purported practice of self-preferencing their own products over the services of rivals and also uh, misusing third-party data to copy smaller competitors' products. Again, this bill focuses on covered tech platforms with a certain number of active users and revenues of a certain amount. And so again, it's Apple, Google, Facebook, Amazon. An example of the practices that are being targeted by this legislation might be uh, you know, Google Maps appearing at the top of your Google search results. The bill has passed the Senate Judiciary Committee A similar bill passed the House Judiciary Committee back in 2021, but the Senate version has undergone a significant number of changes, and uh, many of the uh, senators have proposed additional edits. So, you know, the proposal is likely to continue to evolve, but it could soon come to the Senate floor. So uh, I think there's a pretty good prospect of this passing. Senator Amy Klobuchar, chair of the Judiciary Committee's Antitrust Subcommittee, and Senator Grassley of Iowa sponsored the bill. And, you know, I think it, I think it has a pretty good chance, but we'll have to see what it looks like when it gets to the floor. And then there's just one other House bill that also addresses self-preferencing or conflicts of interest that I thought I'd mention, and that's the Ending Platform Monopolies Act. And there isn't currently a Senate version of this bill, but it's aimed at Amazon, and it would prohibit a dominant platform like Amazon from preferencing its own, for instance, like its own Amazon Basics clothing line to the disadvantage of third-party sellers. So theoretically, the bill could force the breakup of Amazon because of the potential for civil penalties on the company. So... I think it may have a tough time in the Senate. There's a lot of people out there who really like the services that some of the tech platforms offer. And in pushing for the support of the American Innovation and Choice Act, which prohibits self-preferencing, Senator Grassley actually reassured his fellow Judiciary Committee members that that bill wouldn't break up big tech or destroy the products or services that these companies offer. Hypothetically, if none of the bills you mentioned today pass, what do you think the future will look like in terms of antitrust law and monopolies generally? Well, I think antitrust enforcement will go on. The law will continue to evolve, but maybe at a slower pace. I mean, I think things will move slowly, even if the legislation were to pass, but litigation will continue. Uh, We briefly mentioned the Epic Games versus Apple case in the apps market. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll expect an outcome from that, and that could certainly impact that market. The monopoly suits brought against uh, Meta and Google during the Trump administration, those uh, will continue. But I mean, for those, I mean, it could be easily two years before a trial could start. I think the agency to watch may be the Federal Trade Commission. We had mentioned about the uh, potential for a Democratic majority of commissioners coming up and they could follow a more ambitious agenda than they might have in the past. The FTC and the Justice Department could be bringing new cases under new theories. And over time, 
you know, courts could begin to entertain those theories and accept them, and the law could sort of evolve away from where it is. So to wrap it up, a significant portion of our listeners are in law school right now or thinking about going to law school. Do you have any advice for them if they are interested or might be interested in practicing antitrust law or a related area? Well, I would say if you develop a passion for an area, then you really should try and pursue it. If you can take an antitrust course, you know, you might want to try that while you're in law school. Also, there are a number of uh, writing competitions for law students in the area of antitrust and consumer protection, and they're sponsored by law schools and bar associations. So, you know, you could try your hand at that and see you know, if, if this is an area of the law that you'd like to pursue, there's also a lot of great literature out there from top antitrust scholars on the legal side and the economic side. So, you know, read through some of that, get a sense of it. And uh, if it's something that you'd like to do, go ahead and pursue it. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Jeff. We would also like to thank our listeners for tuning in. We hope you all learned something new and don't forget to tune in next time for another episode of Let's Brief It. The DC Bar Law Student Community strives to engage and support law students before you graduate and expose you to the tangible benefits of joining the DC Bar and DC Bar communities. Curated programming allows law students to participate in substantive content programming, leadership trainings, networking with practicing attorneys in fields of interest, writing opportunities, and other activities designed to expand your legal education beyond the classroom. Make an investment in your legal career by joining the law student community. To learn more, visit us at www.dcbar.org or email communities at dcbar.org. We look forward to hearing from you.